Heavenly Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would lead us and guide us and grant us your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you would prepare us for the second coming of Jesus. I pray that the lives represented by the families here in this church would fully bring glory to your name. We need your word, Lord, because we're so prone to error. Satan is always there at the right hand to cause us and our minds to misread Scripture and to falter and fail. And so, Lord, we need you. We pray for your help this morning. Guide us as we open your holy book, the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that we would be sanctified by this truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message is called Unclean Meat or All You Can Eat. My grandmother, favorite restaurant was a restaurant down in southern Oregon called Hometown Buffet. You remember Hometown Buffet? COVID ruined it for us, didn't it? (laughs) I was so sad when Sweet Tomatoes closed down. But let me tell you, eating is a part of our life. And as a Christian, when you accept Christ and you come into the Word of God, you come into these challenges that confront you with regards to diet. And I remember... Years ago, I was in Texas, and I had a Christian friend who invited me out to eat to Olive Garden. How many of you like Olive Garden? And I enjoyed Olive Garden, so we went there. We were eating. Uh, Me, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, him, a non-denominational Christian, sitting across the table, and the topic of diet came up. And he looked at me and he said, you know, God gave a vision to Peter. And in that vision, the Lord said, you can kill and eat whatever you want. So you want to split the baby back ribs? I said, "Uh, let's look at that story together one more time. And I'd like to invite you to look at that story with me. Because in this story, we find uh, an issue that faces many Christians. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. This is where you find the story. And it says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city... Peter went upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour, this is when there was darkness over the land. Remember when Jesus was crucified? It was darkness over the land from the sixth to the ninth hour. The sixth hour, oh, and Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the, at the well on the sixth hour. Do you know what the sixth hour is? Jewish time, they counted from sunrise, and the first hour after sunrise was the first hour. Second hour after sunrise was the second hour. So the sixth hour was about noon. 
So Peter's up on the housetop at noon. And he's getting hungry. And they didn't have microwaves back then, so food took a lot longer to cook. And Peter, while he's waiting for the food to finish, begins to pray. Which is a good lesson for us when we're waiting uh, in line somewhere or waiting for something to happen. Rather than pulling out our phones and checking on Facebook, we should follow Peter's example and pray. Pray while you wait. Make your wait count. And so Peter began to pray. And as Peter was praying, God gives Peter a vision. And this is what my friend wanted me to read. So we opened our Bibles right there in Olive Garden. And this is what we read in uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 11 through 16. And saw heaven open... And a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the earth. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is what? Common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again a second time, What God hath cleansed, thou shalt not, thou, uh, thou, you know, sometimes I love King James and other times he just twists me up. (laughs) What God hath cleansed, that call not thou unclean. Coming. <laughs> this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So, after reading this passage, he said, My friend said, You see, God told Peter that he could eat unclean meat. That reveals God's will for his church, that we as believers in God, as Christians, are free to eat whatever we want. Here we were, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian and a non-denominational Christian sitting around the table talking about unclean meat or all you can eat. Perhaps you too have found yourself in this dilemma. You read Peter's vision or another Bible text and you wonder, does it matter? Does the Bible teach Christians to control what they eat, or can they really eat whatever they want? I mean, does pepperoni pizza really keep me out of heaven? Good question. And we can begin this morning by establishing this fact, that the death of Jesus Uh, That the death that Jesus gives the Christian creates in the Christian an obligation, a duty, and a privilege to bring glory to God. In other words, because Jesus gave everything for you, it puts you and I as followers of Christ 
under a certain obligation that we must also give him glory and honor. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't have the hope of eternal life without Jesus' death. And we can, we can all agree that because Jesus bought me with his own blood, with his own life, it is my privilege and duty as a Christian to bring him glory in my life. You can agree with that, right? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20 says, For ye are what? Bought with a price. Therefore, or because of this, what are you supposed to do? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I glorify God because I was purchased from sin and death by Him. Now, how did Christ purchase us? Well, the Bible says that He redeemed us, He purchased us with His own blood. In 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with this precious blood of Christ. When I was a boy, I remember my mother used to tell me this story. And in this story, there was a mother and her child. And they were in this house and And one night the house caught on fire and she ran out of the house and then she remembered, my baby's in there. Do you remember that story? And the fireman tried to hold her back and she said, no, no, my child, my child. She ran into the house and she grabbed her baby and her hands were singed and burned and she came running out of the house and uh, as she got older... The, babe, the child grew. She saved her baby's life. The child grew. And the child looked at her hands and said, Mommy, why are your hands so ugly? Mommy, why are your hands so, so scarred and, and ugly? And then Mommy told her the story of how her hands were ugly because her hands were given to save her life in that fire. And you can only imagine the gratitude of a child saying, Mommy, if you do that for me, I'll do whatever I can for you. And I think, maybe this was my mother telling me this, but I think the story ended by her saying, Mommy, you don't have ugly hands, you have beautiful hands. When we look at what Jesus has done for us, how can we not say, Lord, what you've done for me is beautiful. And I give everything to you. I commit to giving all my life to you to bring glory to your name. So I glorify God because of what he has done for me. His sacrifice leads me to sacrifice And in what way can we glorify God? Well, the Bible says we're to glorify Him in our body and in our spirit. We glorify God when our characters are in harmony with His will. That's glorifying Him in our spirit. Every time that I choose patience over impatience, love over anger, when I choose gentleness Instead of harshness, when I choose to speak a kind word to my enemy rather than a curse word to my enemy, 
I'm glorifying God. Why? Because I'm reflecting Him in my character. I'm glorifying Him in my spirit. But there's a second way we can glorify God. We can glorify God when our bodies are in harmony with His will. That's glorifying Him with our bodies. Well, how does one glorify God with one's body? Well, Paul makes it more clear by saying in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you what? Eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, you may never thought about this, but you can actually glorify God by what you put on your dinner plate, by what you pour into your lunch cup. If you can glorify God by what you choose to eat and drink, can you dishonor Him by what you choose to eat and drink? So you tell me, does the New Testament teach that what a Christian eats and drinks matters? Yes or no? Yes. The Bible answer, we can say without hesitation, is yes. But hold up, you may be saying in your mind, Didn't Jesus say that all foods are purified? Didn't Jesus say it's not what we eat, but it's the evil in our heart that defiles us? Let's look at what the Bible says. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 through 23. By the way, You may be thinking in your mind, I got my diet all worked out, but someday somebody's going to sit you down at a restaurant and ask you hard questions and say, what about this verse? And you need to have a reason for the hope that is in you and be able to answer. So you listen to this sermon and you'll you'll be fully equipped to be able to answer anyone who takes you out to Olive Garden. And he saith unto unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. New King James Version says, Thus Jesus purified all foods. Now after reading this verse, you may be left thinking, wow. I guess Jesus laid it out. As a Christian, I guess I can eat whatever I want. However much I want. Whenever I want. There are no limits, right? Is that what Jesus meant? 
Or is that my personal interpretation? I want to warn you to be careful when you read the Bible that you don't read your own experience or your own interpretation into the Scriptures. Because as humans, we easily interpret Scripture to fit our own dilemmas which we're currently facing. Rather than reading it as addressing the dilemmas of that day and age, we can be led to misapply these verses. What did Jesus mean when He says, "...thus purifying all foods?" The issue becomes clear when we flip back to the parallel account in the book of Matthew. Suddenly our spin on Jesus' words becomes untangled and we realize Jesus isn't purifying all unclean foods. The issue is whether or not eating with unwashed hands can defile somebody spiritually. Listen to how Matthew puts it. Matthew says, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with what? Unwashed hands defile not a man. So let me ask you the question, was Jesus addressing Bacon? Or was Jesus addressing ceremonially unwashed hands? You see, the Jews believed that you could have become defiled in something that you touched. There were many things that were unclean. For instance, if you ended up, if you're walking down the road and there was a I don't know, a dead animal. Let's say a dog got hit by a cart as it was going through the the road. And as you're walking, you stumble and you bump into that dead animal. You now become unclean. And you keep walking down the road to your friend's house and you shake your friend's hand. Guess what? Mm -hmm. Now your friend's unclean. Now what is he going to do with his unclean hand? Well, if he doesn't wash it, he's going to become unclean. It wasn't necessarily germ theory so much as it was ceremonial uncleanness. So the Jews had this law, you've got to wash your hands before you eat so that you can be ceremonially clean. And Jesus said, all of these things, ceremonially cleaning your hands, it's worthless. The point is your heart. Your heart needs to be right with God. It's what proceeds out of the heart that defiles a man. Jesus was talking about ceremonial uncleanness versus the issues of the heart. And they were putting more focus on making sure that they followed the rules of the rabbis than they were about making sure they followed the rules of God. And not just the rules of God and what they did, but the rules of God and what they thought and felt and the things they allowed into their heart. Because if you allow it in, it's going to come out. Jesus never undid, never reversed the law He gave for our health and happiness in the very beginning. It was God's will that His people find protection in His health. 
and his health laws, and that we spiritually prosper by following God's guidance in what we eat and what we drink. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray above all things that thou mayst prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Did you know that your physical health and your spiritual health are connected? In Evangelism, page 261, she says, The body must be kept in a healthy condition in order that the soul may be in health. The condition of the body affects the condition of the soul. He who would have physical and spiritual strength must educate his appetite in right lines. He must be careful not to burden the soul by overtaxing his physical or spiritual powers. Faithful adherence to right principles in eating, drinking, and dressing is a what? Is a duty that God has laid upon human beings. And we might even call it a privilege that we even have the opportunity to choose a better way to live. It's for this reason that Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Your physical life and your spiritual life are connected. What happens to one can affect the other. Can an unforgiving heart, a bitter spirit, A heart filled with hatred affect your physical health? Oh, yes, it can. There are people in this world who can trace their cancer back to an unforgiving heart. There are people in this world who can trace their their disease that, that is affecting their life back to chronic stress because they were unwilling to work out their differences with someone else. And if your spiritual life can affect your physical life, can your physical life affect your spiritual life? Now, I can tell you for sure. There were times several years ago that I was so sick I could hardly even pray. One of my mentoring pastors. He's an evangelist in Arizona. I was able to mentor under him for several months. And he ended up in the hospital. And uh, if you know this pastor, you'll know he's a man of prayer. I mean, he prays for everybody. I would sit there, I'd go to his house, and he'd invite me to pray, and we'd be on our knees for like an hour or two, just praying over every every person, and he would constantly tell people, you're on my prayer list, you're on my prayer list. Man, a prayer, a man of prayer and faith. After he got out of the hospital, he said to the church family, thank you for praying for me. He said, I was so sick. It's the first time in my life I couldn't even pray. Your physical condition can affect you your spiritual condition. Because they're tied together. When we give the Lord our heart, we're not just giving Him our spiritual life. 
When we give the Lord our heart, we're giving Him our bodies as well to bring glory to Him in our physical and spiritual life. So what is God's will regarding what we eat and drink? And we find it plainly written in the very beginning in the Bible. Genesis 1, 29. And I'd like to invite you to read it together with me. You see it on the screen? Let's read it together. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to which it shall be for meat. God gave us a vegetarian diet in the beginning. Now, you may not like the word vegetarian, so I'll change it. God gave us a plant-based diet in the beginning. Fruit. Now, how many, of here, how many here like fruit? You have a favorite fruit? Now, I don't know what your favorite fruit is. Maybe it's dates. That's a fruit. It's a pretty sweet fruit. Apples, pears, berries. How many of you like berries? Okay, a number of you like berries. Cherries. Maybe you're one of those that enjoy tropical fruit. Mangoes. Papayas. Yes. Have you ever tried a papaya seed? Yeah, it's good for you, but, but it doesn't taste good. Uh, passion fruit. Oh, man. My aunt used to make uh, something in Hawaii they would call lilikoi pie. Anybody here know what lilikoi pie is? Yeah? What's that? Passion fruit pie. Oh, man. If you've not tried it, it is good. Fruit. The Lord gave us fruit in the beginning. That sweet sugar that fills every bite of fruit with deliciousness was given by God to bless humanity. And fructose is different than high fructose. Sugar in the fruit is different than the sugar in your frosted flakes. We want God's sugar. I tell my kids all the time, we want God's sugar. This was our food. And also God gave us spinach and garlic and cilantro and beans and rice and bread and all the produce of the land. If you like lentil soup, if you enjoy asparagus and garlic, if you like salads or spinach or onions, you're enjoying a God-given diet. Research confirms over and over and over again that much of the diseases that affect our planet can be reversed by switching to a totally plant-based diet, among other things. In 2005, researchers identified groups of people who live unusually longer than the majority of the world's population, and the key character traits they all shared were, yes, physical exercise, a strong social network, faith in God, but they also consumed a mainly or exclusively plant-based diet. And the majority lived to over 100 People who follow God's health plan of exercise and eating a vegetarian diet found tremendous benefits, and you can too. Then we have the landmark research done by Dr. T. Colin Campbell. 
How many of you have heard of Dr. Campbell? He wrote the book, The China Study. Has anybody here read The China Study? If you haven't, written in 2005 or published in 2005, an incredible book. Turn the world, the nutrition world, upside down and revealed the source of many of our lifestyle diseases we suffer from today simply come from our diet. And if we were to switch our diet um, away from animal products, including dairy, and that chronic illnesses such as coronary heart disease, diabetes, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and bowel cancer can all be reversed. The authors concluded that people who eat a predominantly whole food vegan diet avoiding animal products as sources of nutrition, including beef and pork and poultry, fish, eggs, cheese, and milk, and reducing their intake of processed foods and refined carbohydrates will escape reduce or reverse the development of numerous diseases. Now you may say, Dr. Campbell, I've never heard of him. Is he some quack from the high hills of nowhere? Dr. Campbell earned a PhD in biochemistry, nutrition, and microbiology from Cornell University. He is a respected researcher, has been a a member since 1978 of several United States National Academy of Sciences expert panels on food safety. He holds an honorary professorship at the Chinese Academy of Preventative Medicine and is featured in the documentaries that you may have heard of, Forks Over Knives, Planet, Vegucated, and Plant Pure Nation. In 2010, after cardiac surgery, the former U.S. President Bill Clinton adopted the plant-based diet recommended by Campbell and reversed some of his health issues. So this is no backwoods quack. You have real research indicating that the diet God gave mankind is the diet we should all be following. Now, let me share something that Dr. Campbell said in July this last year that will shock you. Are you ready? I should probably skip it. (laughs) He said it about COVID just this last year. And I'm getting this direct from a news site in Australia. And I wonder if we can put that up on the screen. Here it is. News.com.au Their body and soul section says scientists claims plant-based diet can what? Can help prevent COVID-19. If you read down there in the bottom, that's small words, but if you're close to a screen, you can read it. Plant-based advocate Dr. T. Colin Campbell has made bold statements about the coronavirus and food claiming eating a plant-based diet creates COVID-19 antibodies within days. Now let me give you direct quotes from Dr. Campbell. 
Plant-based health expert Dr. T. Colin Campbell has said switching to a whole food plant-based diet could produce a faster, safer, more comprehensive, long-term solution for coping with viral diseases like COVID-19. Because switching to a whole food plant-based diet should lessen the severity of disease symptoms while simultaneously increasing COVID-19 antibodies. A win-win effect, end quote. Now let me ask you something. Well, I'm going to ask you this in just a moment. Dr. Campbell then goes on to say, if... Wait, 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 wait. When... When, uh, let me find my place again. When everyone eats a whole food, plant-based diet, we might not need to mask ourselves, avoid physical contact, and wait for new drugs with unpredictable side effects and vaccines likely to be only partially effective at best for new viruses. If what? If everyone ate a whole foods, plant-based diet. He goes on to say that the proteins in plants increase the production of antibodies in the body. And the increase of production in antibodies serves as a shield against the symptoms of COVID. That's exactly what a vaccine is supposed to do. A vaccine is supposed to increase the production of antibodies to act as a shield to protect protect you against the symptoms of COVID or any other disease. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who eats plant-based shouldn't worry or take precautions regarding their health and COVID. But what I am saying is that nutritional experts like Dr. Campbell are realizing that diet alone can make a tremendous difference in the severity of symptoms and your recovery time if you were to be exposed to COVID-19. Why? Because plant-based proteins and fibers increase the body's ability to produce antibodies And that is what I call a safe vaccine that anyone can take without worries. And God didn't need a scientist to confirm the accuracy that the best diet for humans is a plant-based diet. It was given by our Creator to Adam, Eve, and the human race in the very beginning. And if all were to follow it, we would be spared from many of the diseases that affect the human race today. Wait wait a minute, Pastor. I read in Romans that vegetarians are weaker Christians. And we shouldn't judge those who eat meat. Aren't you judging me for eating my bacon by telling me the Bible condemns the eating of of any of the any pork products? Well, let's read it straight from the Bible. We'll go to Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. It says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. And here we go. For one believeth that he may eat all things, 
Another who is what? Weak eateth what? Herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Now because you and I aren't in the, in the context in which Paul is writing, the first thing that comes to mind is our own context. In our own context, the only thing that makes sense is vegetarian or carnivore. That's it, right? That must be what he's talking about. Those who eat herbs are weak Christians. And those who eat meat are strong Christians. Is this a vegetarian versus meat-eating issue that Paul is addressing? Or, like with Jesus' statement, is there another issue like unwashed hands being addressed here? We need to, we need to ask another question. Why is the one person, the weaker Christian, eating only vegetables? Have you ever asked that question? Why is he only eating vegetables? And refusing to eat any meat. Why? It's a good question, isn't it? Is there an answer? Aha, there is. And you'll find that answer in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. But before we turn there, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we need to understand that meat at that time was not butchered simply to sell for food. In that society, almost all meat came from animals that were sacrificed to the idols of the land. Let's say that a hundred goats are sacrificed to the goddess Diana in Ephesus. What would they do with the bodies of those animals? Well, they would sell them in the meat market and use them also in their worship of their idols in their feasts. So Gentiles that converted to Christianity would have known that any meat in the marketplace likely was meat that was offered to a pagan deity. The issue, the main issue that faced many Gentile Christians was not whether or not to be a vegetarian, but whether or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Those who were new in the faith, those who were what? New in the faith struggled a great deal in their conscience because to them, by eating this meat, they were continuing to take part in the worship of these idols. Listen to how Paul puts it to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 25-28. Now I'm going to read it in the New King James Version because I doubt any of you use the word shambles. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Asking no questions for conscience sake. What would have been sold in the meat market? Meat sacrificed to? Idols. So Paul is saying, eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Don't ask questions. And the question would be, has this been sacrificed to an idol? Has this been sacrificed to an idol? For conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you eat 
you desire to go, eat whatsoever is set before you. And you know what? I like the King James Version here because it's, I think, more accurate. If any of you, them that believe not, bid you to a feast. These were feasts of uh, worshiping idol, idolatrous feasts. And ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So the new Christians just coming to faith in order to protect their conscience decided that rather than try to find out if the meat was really sacrificed to an idol or not, they just decided to not eat meat at all. Because if they didn't eat meat at all, then they wouldn't have to deal with the issue of, is this sacrifice to an idol? Oh man, what about this one? Oh man, what about this one? They just forget meat entirely and they only ate vegetables. Does it make sense? This is why they're eating the vegetables. They became vegetarians in order to avoid eating any meat sacrificed to an idol. Because there was no way to know for sure if the meat in the marketplace had been offered to an idol or not. It's not a vegetarian versus carnivore. The issue is meat sacrifice to idols. The issue is not clean meat or all you can eat. The issue dealt with in Scripture here is in Romans is whether a new Gentile convert who is totally devoted to the Lord but avoids the meat in the marketplace should be persuaded to change their course. And Paul says, let's take care of those who have a tender conscience and who are new in the faith and not give them a place to stumble just because we don't see a problem with eating the meat sacrificed to idols. Make sense? It's clear. So the weaker Christian is not the vegetarian Seventh-day Adventist. The weaker Christian is the new convert who is struggling with meat sacrificed to idols and rather than, than make that whole thing an issue, let him be a vegetarian. So that he doesn't have to struggle through that and he can grow in his faith. And at some point he'll realize internally that if I offer bananas to the goddess Diana, or not if I do, but if someone else does. Let's say I used to have a professor who said, if you go to Walmart and there's a guy in Walmart who offers the bananas to uh, Buddha, can you eat the bananas as a Christian? Yeah, you can. Why? Because you know that Buddha is not a god. That there's only one true God and for them to offer it to Buddha is to offer it to nothing. And so you take your bananas offered to Buddha and you offer them to the Lord. You say, Lord, thank you for these bananas. Paul is not saying that Christians can now eat pig. He's not saying that Christians can now eat unclean meat. Paul is saying... If there's meat in the market, and this is what you need to eat, you need to have a conscience that's clear on whether or not it's sacrificed to an idol or not. Paul isn't dealing with clean or unclean meats. 
He's dealing with meat sacrifice to idols. That was the issue. Well, somebody may say, but didn't Paul say that all food is clean? And if you go a little bit further in Romans 14, we come to another problem verse. Romans 14, verses 14 through 15. And I'm hitting all the problem verses for you this morning. It's on YouTube. You'll be able to go back if you need to fill in your notes. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is how much? Nothing what? And there it is, they say. There is nothing unclean of itself. I can eat whatever I want. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Okay, let's go back to that word unclean. He says, all, not all, let's see, he says, Oh, there, thank you. And I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean. That word unclean is not really unclean. If you go in the Greek, that word is the same word for common which is a different word than unclean. The word here translated unclean in Greek is koinos. It's where we get the word koine Greek, which was the language used during Jesus' day. Koine means common. And there's a difference between food that is common and food that is biblically unclean. The word for unclean is different. And we find both words for clean and common in the story of Peter, which we started off with in the beginning of the Bible. In Acts chapter 10, verse 14, it says, But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is what? Common. That's koinos. Or... Unclean. And unclean, that word there, is akathartos. And the word akathartos literally means unclean and is used to describe meat that is forbidden by God for Christians to eat. This list is outlined in Leviticus 11. Of all the land animals, you can eat those that have a split hoof and chew their partially digested grass in the field. Cows, sheep, deer, elk, goats, those are the ones we commonly think of, but the Bible mentions those that don't have these character traits of the split hoof and the chewing of the cud. It mentions them as unclean. Leviticus 11, verses 4 through 8, it says, Nevertheless, these you shall not eat of them that chew the cud or of them that divide the hoof. As the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. Don't have to worry about that. I've never tasted camel in all my life, nor have I ever seen camel steak at the store. And the coney, because he cheweth the cud, that's the badger, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean to you. Don't have to worry about that, because nobody eats coney today. And the hare, that's the rabbit. Now, some people eat rabbit, But the Bible says the rabbit is unclean. 
So no rabbit porridge stew. Now we come to something that many people eat. Verse 7, and the what? Swine. And if you don't recognize that, it's known by many terms. We call it pig, pork, bacon. It's the one animal that has like a hundred words for the same animal. Ham and the swine. Though he divideth the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is what? Unclean to you. That is the word uh, akathartos, unclean. Now my question is, how serious is God with regards to this clean and unclean meat issue? Well, if you go to Isaiah 66 verse 16... It says, For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst, eating what? Swine's flesh, and the abomination in the mouths shall be what? Consumed together, saith the Lord. Would the Lord really say that you and I would die if we continue to eat unclean foods. Is that real? Is that for real? Is the Lord really serious? It's that serious of an issue? I want you to think of this. Like the tree in the midst of the garden that God said to Adam and Eve, thou shalt not touch it or eat it lest you die. So the Lord gives his people a similar test on food. Don't eat it. Don't keep it in your freezer. Don't put it in your fridge. We find a similar list for those in the water. They must have both fins and scales like salmon, trout, and tuna. But whatever doesn't have fins and scales like lobster, crab, clams, crayfish, catfish, shark, prawns, and shrimp, those are called unclean in the Bible and are forbidden. Is God serious? You bet He's serious. Why? Because we can glorify God by our characters, but we can also glorify or dishonor God with our bodies. The Bible even calls those things that don't have fins and scales an abomination for people to eat. In Leviticus 11 verse 12 Whatsoever hath no fins nor scales in the waters, that shall be a what? An abomination to you. So the word unclean is clear in the Bible. But what about the word common? We know what unclean means. What about the word common? Remember Peter said nothing common or unclean. And the word that Paul used in Romans saying there is no food that is unclean is the same Greek word for common. I don't know about you, but if I could push a button to open a door or a window right now to let in fresh air, I would. And if there's a deacon somewhere who might be willing to open up the doors to let in some fresh air, I think it would be a blessing for us. That reminds me of a story. Ellen White was preaching once. And as she was preaching, she kept telling a deacon, can you open that window? Can you open that window? By the end of her sermon, all the windows and all the doors were open. (laughs) So 
So we're going to open up some of the doors and windows, get ourselves some fresh air so that we can breathe together. Uh, Thank you so much for those who have opened those doors. Common is used in Scripture in Mark chapter 7 and verse 2. Same word as in Romans. Remember it says, there's nothing that is unclean. That same word, koinos, is used in Mark 7 verse 2. What does it say in Mark 7 verse 2? And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with what? With defiled. And that word defiled is koinos. That means common. That is to say, with what? Oh, there it is again. Unwashed hands, they found fault. You see, there were two types of unclean. There was the unclean, which God said is unclean, you, forbidden, you should never eat it. And then there was koinos. It was the unclean that comes simply by contact, casual contact with something. For instance, if a sheep or a goat, which is, has split hooves and chews the cud, is offered to an idol, guess what? It, what is clean now becomes common. And if you're following Jew, Jewish rabbinical law, you cannot eat that clean sheep because it has now become unclean or common by being sacrificed to an idol. And now we're right back to uh, meat sacrifice to idols here. When Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing is unclean of itself, he's talking about nothing is common. Nothing is just common, koinos of itself. If it's sacrificed to an idol, don't let that bother you because you know that idols are nothing. He's not speaking about being able to eat whatever you want in the fast food line. Remember, God wants us to give glory to Him with our bodies, and that includes what we eat and what we drink. Friends, think of this. Eve was tested over whether she would submit to God's law regarding food. You remember that? Daniel stood the test with threats for his very life by refusing to eat the king's food in Babylon. Again, a test over food. Jesus... In the 40 days in the wilderness, what was he tested on by the devil? Food. To provide for his natural hunger through miracles. If we don't submit our diet to the Lord now, how are we going to trust him during time periods of persecution when we go through hunger? How are we going to place our faith in him during the time periods when no man can buy or sell save those who have the mark of the beast if we haven't controlled what we buy from the grocery store now? Desire of Ages, page 12. Ellen White, in talking about Jesus' fast there in the wilderness and the temptation by the devil for him to turn stones to bread, says this. In the last great conflict of the controversy with Satan, those who are loyal to God will see every earthly support cut off. Because they refuse to break his law and obedience to earthly powers, they will be forbidden to buy or sell. It will finally be decreed that they shall be put to death. 
And you can find that in Revelation 13, 11 through 17. But to the obedient is given the promise. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be mountains of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. By this promise, the children of God will live. When the earth shall be wasted with famine, they shall be fed. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time and in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. To that time of distress, the prophet Habakkuk looked forward and his word expressed the faith of the church. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. When you and I give our bodies to God and give glory to Him by controlling the things that we eat and bringing what we eat and drink into conformity with the will of our Heavenly Father, we are preparing our own hearts and souls by faith for the end of time. Because if you can trust God with your diet now, you can trust trust Him to provide for your diet then. Let's come back to the... Peter's vision. Was it really God telling Peter you can now eat whatever you want as a Christian? Or was there more, a more important message that God was trying to communicate to Peter? Well, as you can imagine, by Peter's response, the vision caught him off guard. Listen to how, what Peter said in Acts 10, verse 14. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Did Peter say, Okay, God, I now know I can eat whatever I want as a Christian. No. Peter was confused. The vision was out of harmony with everything he knew was true from the Bible. From a child, he had refrained from unclean meats. And now, here God seems to contradict himself, saying, kill and eat, Peter. If Peter had viewed this vision the same way my friend did at I'm thinking of McDonald's, Chipotle, Olive Garden. That's what it is. Don't ask me why I'm thinking. Okay, he wouldn't have said, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything like that. He would have gotten up at the command of the Lord, killed and eaten. He would have said, hallelujah, I can eat whatever I want. And down he would have, he would have brought them. But he didn't do that. Just to be clear, Peter hadn't eaten anything unclean out of conviction for what the Lord had said in his word. It wasn't an allergy that kept Peter from eating pig. It was his faith. After the vision ended, Peter under, did Peter understand clearly what the vision meant? Acts chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean... Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Peter didn't even know what the vision meant. He was confused. He had no idea. It seemed to him to be a complete contradiction with the word of God and the practice of true Christianity at the time. You see, at that time, they did not eat unclean meat because it was against God's will for his people. Jesus didn't need it. The disciples didn't need it. Peter didn't need it. And while Peter wonders to himself about the meaning, the Bible says that Cornelius, a Gentile convert, a devout man of faith, is instructed by an angel to send men to go get Peter. 
And these men are brought up onto the rooftop and introduced to Peter. And Peter says, and they say to Peter in Acts 10, 22, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned by God from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them, and on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And 24 says, And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it was unlawful an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep, keep company or come in unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Did Peter understand the vision now? Yes. What was the meaning of the vision? It was a symbol for people not a command by the Lord to change humanity's diet. It was to break apart the prejudice in Peter's heart. Not to give him free reign to eat whatever he wanted. Philippians 3 verses 18 through 19 says... For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is what? Destruction. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things. If we as Christians take an attitude and a view that we do not need to control our appetite our lusts of the flesh or our gluttonous taste buds, and we eat whatever we want, we let desire, and we let desire be our guide rather than the word of the Lord, we make ourselves an enemy of God. Our God becomes our belly, and the end will be destruction. Why? Because we have set our mind on earthly things. You cannot eat or drink to the glory of God while serving your own lusts. We glorify God when we deny ourselves the things that God calls unclean. We glorify God when we choose to turn away from that which God calls an abomination. We glorify God when we control our appetite and demonstrate through this fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit does control our life. No, friend, Peter did not interpret the vision like my friend. What did Peter see as the meaning of the vision? I should call, should not call any man common or unclean. Now, why was this such a big deal? Why did Peter need this message from the Lord? Later in Acts 11, this vision is used to break down prejudice, not only in Peter's life, but the life of the whole church. 
And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. Didst eat with them. And Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, And he shared the whole story. He laid out the vision of God and the men about the men from Cornelius and how he went and preached to them and how they received the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And then those who contended with Peter uh, also see the meaning of the vision and they are converted as well and accept the Gentile converts into the church. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Not once does the Bible hint that this vision gave the early church a new diet. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the diet He has prescribed for us to live by in the beginning is still the best diet for mankind today. Don't be fooled by those who try to lead you into forbidden paths, thinking that as a Christian, you have liberty to now destroy your body and your soul. That's not liberty at all. Eat for your health. Eat for the Lord. And in all things, glorify Him who made you in everything you do, which includes your diet. So I shared this with my friend as we were eating at Olive Garden. And he didn't have anything else to say. (laughs) The controversy over unclean meat or all you can eat was resolved. So my question is, is it resolved for you, my friends? God has a plan for our lives as Christians. And that plan includes giving him glory in every area of our life. Will you do that today? By making a covenant right now to give your diet into the Lord's hand, will you commit today to ridding your fridge and your life of everything that does not bring glory to God? Will you do it? How many here are willing to say, Amen, I'll do it, Pastor, to bring glory to God? Will you raise your hand? Say, Lord, I give you my diet. I give you my life. I give you... Uh, everything. I want to be in your kingdom. And I hold nothing back from you. Amen. Let's pray a prayer of commitment to the Lord just now. Heavenly Father, We say to ourselves that the battle is so small, so insignificant. It's just food. What does it matter? And yet if we're honest with ourselves, it's not small. Because it's the very thing that has us by the throat. I pray for strength, Lord. I pray for your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would turn the eyes of each person here to Jesus and realize that the battle belongs to the Lord. And that only through his strength can we conquer where Adam and Eve failed, where Satan tried to bring down Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, number one, to know 
what your plan is regarding what we should eat and what we should drink that we might bring, choose to bring glory to you in our lives. Number two, Lord, I pray that you would help us to identify those foods and drinks in our life that are out of harmony with your will. And number three, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength, the courage, the boldness, and the help from heaven to give these things into your hands and to declare that we are bought by the blood of Jesus and that there is no article of food, no cup of drink that is more important than our Lord and our Savior. I pray for strength which can only come from Jesus and claim the promise which he has given to us I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I pray that we would reach up our hand of faith and grasp a hold of this promise now with all our heart and all our soul. And Lord, may we benefit by this new life, this healthier life. I pray that we would have the shield of of your protection around us, protecting us from diseases, from heartache, from the issues in this world that seek to destroy your people. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us as we've covered this important topic. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.